This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello and welcome to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist. I've lived and worked in Fayetteville, Arkansas for almost 30 years. And I started Self Work five years ago in order to extend the walls of my practice to reach those of you who might already be in therapy, very interested in trying to figure out what makes you tick. And as I love to say, what you can do about it whatever healing you need to do, perhaps for those of you who have just been diagnosed with something or you're having a problem that you don't understand or you're struggling to work through, but also to those of you who might think therapy is a bunch of mumbo-jumbo, you would think that you would never darken the door of a therapist. Maybe self-work would help you understand what it might be like to be in therapy, although self-work isn't therapy, but at least you can get an idea of the kind of things that might be helpful to you. So welcome to you all. Narcissism has become in many ways the diagnosis of the decade, as I've talked about before. Everyone is accusing everyone else of being manipulative or self-centered or a jerk and calling it narcissism. Well, certainly those behaviors could be part of narcissistic personality disorder, but perhaps not. This month, I heard from a woman who identifies herself as manifesting covert narcissism, and she's looking for both support and information on how she could best address what she so desperately and sincerely wants to change in herself. She talks about the extreme lack of help out there, and she's right. Sometimes we can forget as a culture that those we label as having a personality disorder are often living very, very difficult lives perhaps with the exception of true sociopathy. So I'm more than warmed to her request for help. And today we'll talk about covert narcissism. I'll offer what I could find out about it, and as usual, add my own ideas, and of course, what you can do about it. Our listener email for this week, or basically another listener email, is from a young woman who asks what the relationship is between perfectionism and social anxiety, and she's struggling with her progress in therapy not going faster, as she says she wants to get rid of her anxiety. BetterHelp is sponsoring this podcast today, and I've been made very aware during the pandemic because I myself moved to only doing virtual work, how convenient and effective virtual therapy can be, especially for those not quite ready to walk into a therapist's office. So please, do whatever it is you like to do when you listen, and let's talk about covert narcissism, what it is, how you can spot it in yourself or others, and what's available out there to try to heal. First, let's hear from the listener who wrote to me last month about what she termed covert narcissism. Here she goes. Hi, Dr. Margaret. You've been a trusted source of knowledge on self-work for me a long time. I appreciate all that you do. I've recently become aware that I am a covert narcissist. I'm trying very hard to change. I know it is imperative. And though it makes sense that most resources focus on narcissistic abuse victims and their recovery, 
I want to say that there are those of us out there with personality disorders that are self-aware and want desperately to change our disordered personalities and their impacts on our lives and the lives of those who love us. I was so impressed by this email. Let me be clear. Abuse is a choice and unacceptable, no matter the context or personality. I am not suggesting that material designed for helping victims should include sympathizing or empathizing with the narcissist. What I am saying is that there is an extreme paucity of help and direction for the self-aware narcissist who wants to heal, to have a meaningful life, and functional healthy relationships. I hope for the sake of those who love and those who are narcissists, this changes. I hope that the research body grows and self-awareness becomes more common so that the cycle of pain can stop. Thank you for listening and for all you do, be well. You can hear the integrity of this email and this person who identifies with covert narcissism. I was so struck by the humility and vulnerability she showed and got back to her saying, I'd respond and how much I admired her for speaking her truth. I have a problem. is something many people hide or discount or flat go to their grave not admitting. So it's more than refreshing to hear someone, let's call her Carol, say she needs help. And again, she's right. I also looked in the literature for treatment for narcissism, and there's not much to offer. There are plenty of descriptions for what it is, how it came to be recognized, and the behaviors within it. But for healing? Mm, Just not there. So I'm hoping this podcast might help. First, let's talk about what it is. Here's an article in Scientific American that I thought described the disorder very well. And I quote, There exists, however, a quieter manifestation of narcissism characterized by extreme sensitivity to slights and a deep shame over grandiose fantasies that lead these individuals to shun the spotlight. Sometimes referred to as the vulnerable or the hypervigilant narcissist, these individuals are exquisitely sensitive to how others react to them. The core characteristics of vulnerable narcissism include a highly fragile self-esteem, constant feelings of shame, a hiding of the self, avoidance of feedback, rage when there is criticism, fantasies of validation, and distrust of the good intentions of others. Vulnerable narcissists have an incessant need to avoid rejection and feedback that may confirm their deepest fear of low self-worth. Whereas grandiose narcissists have an incessant need to avoid any indications that they may not be as superior and powerful as they believe they are. Now remember, these kinds of descriptions are really describing the most extreme on both ends. So Carol may be somewhere in the middle here. She may not have all these traits of vulnerable narcissism. She may. But remember, everything in mental health is on a spectrum. Someone I worked with years ago came to mind. She was highly respected in the community, someone who constantly did for others, her church, her city, her family. She'd do the most arduous of jobs, working for hours on gifts and projects and really good deeds. She needed to be seen as special, and in many ways she was. But a greater need was for her to seem self-effacing. Oh, I'm not special. I'm here to serve. But it was sabotaged by her intense need for validation. For when things didn't go her way, when her adult children, for example, made different choices than she thought was right, she took their actions very personally, shaming herself for not doing a good enough job as a mother, 
rather than realizing her children were building their own individual lives. She was making her children's choices about her, which is self-centeredness. When she was told that she was passive-aggressive at one point, meaning that she took her resentment out in very subtle ways, she acted in a very wounded way. She evaluated herself very harshly. She hated her body and told herself frequently how ugly she was, believing she could never be the kind of person she needed to be. She was always comparing herself to past females that she had known and loved and doing that negatively. She'd had early trauma in her life, which she totally discounted, saying she didn't remember feeling anything, which was probably accurate. The only reason she was in therapy, she stated fairly bluntly, was that she could say to me what she couldn't to anyone else because they'd reject her. So she thought she was hiding her feelings well. However, she would sense criticism or disappointment or even disagreement by family members as complete failure on her part and would send her to bed for days or she'd punish herself in some way. She became the victim. We made some progress in therapy. Basically, I was concerned she was going to slowly kill herself, which she was doing by not eating and other horrible self-care habits were sort of episodic. I believe she worked as hard as she was able, but quite unlike the listener who emailed, she had almost no insight into how miserable she was making herself and others. She left therapy abruptly when something she really wanted to happen did happen. There was no acknowledgement of the work we'd done together for a little more than two years, which I actually wasn't surprised by. She told me often I was a paid friend, not someone who might be able to help her. You can hopefully hear the not-so-subtle grandiosity in that. What I want to quickly say is this woman was full of shame and self-loathing, although outwardly to the community, she looked loving and giving, and she was loving and giving. But that's why she was so sensitive to what she termed her failures. She was a complicated person, for sure. Maybe that example helps you understand what covert narcissism might look like. There was also an article in Medium that explained this dynamic succinctly. Again, talking about covert narcissists. One of their greatest powers of manipulation lies with their ability to play the victim. They are quick to cry, stage a crisis, or feign illness to make you feel bad for them and use their vulnerability to manipulate you and make you feel guilty for not doing what they want. Because this type of narcissist does not want to be seen as a bad person, they tend to deal with perceived criticism or attacks in a more passive-aggressive way. They are more likely to stonewall, hold a grudge, or get quiet revenge. Maybe this makes you think of some people you know. Maybe if you're really very honest, as Carol was, that maybe this could be you. So in the next segment, I'm going to come back to Carol's question and talk about what she can do about it. First, let's hear of an offer from BetterHelp. BetterHelp has been a sponsor of Self Work for at least a year or more, and I'm so glad to have them on board. BetterHelp isn't a crisis line, and it's not self-help. It's actual professional therapy online. And as I've done much more virtual work during the pandemic, I've seen firsthand how effective and convenient virtual work is. When you contact BetterHelp, you'll get a response from a licensed therapist in as little as 48 hours, and they'll make sure you feel your therapist is a wonderful match for you. I, of course, tried this, and I was impressed with the therapist they presented to me as well as what the therapist themselves offered. And BetterHelp and I want 2022 to be your most mentally healthy year ever. So just visit 
betterhelp.com slash selfwork and you'll get a special offer to get 10% off your first month of BetterHelp. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash selfwork. Hope you'll give it a try, especially getting 2022 off to a great start. So let's briefly talk about the way you can identify a covert narcissist. You need to listen to your gut. If they seem to get their feelings hurt more than normal, never get overtly angry, but you can sense resentment that they rarely admit. If you feel guilty when you don't please them or do something they don't want. If their relationships tend toward them doing a lot for others, but needing to stay in the dominant position in the relationship with them being the giver or secretly, perhaps see themselves as better than others. Better meaning more loving, more sacrificial, more giving. If they rarely find fulfillment in what they create, or they give themselves credit for their efforts, needing, however, to be highly and constantly affirmed by others. If they give you a gift, and then see a year later you're not using it, oh, I'm sorry, let me just take it back. You can hear they notice that you're not using their gift. And they take it very personally, but also there's a hint of, you've done something wrong. Let me take it back. They are highly sensitive to what they perceive as slights. And rather than seeing you not carrying the purse or using the bowl they gave you, you know, life moves on. It doesn't mean that they didn't like it, but what it means to them is rejection. So let's get back to Carol. What does she need to focus on to be able to catch and change her behavior? I drew from an article in Mind Body Green for this, as its author broke down seven traits of covert narcissism. So I'll talk about the trait, then I'll talk about what hopefully Carol or anyone listening to this could do. Here's number one. You believe you're uniquely miserable, but you don't tell people that. You're very self-effacing, and you'll say things like, oh, man, I'm not special. This could be due to many painful childhood experiences. You can learn this kind of martyr-like behavior as it could be modeled for you. And you come to learn that this is the way you should be. It could also be tied in with actual bullying, being ostracized, or being abused in some way. The belief is there's something wrong with me that I can't let anyone see. Because you don't know how to allow yourself to accept it, reveal it, whatever your vulnerability is. Early trauma is finally being respected as laying the painful groundwork for so many psychological problems. You can read the book, What Happened to You, or The Body Keeps the Score. Recognizing trauma as trauma can be vital for your growth. So maybe, Carol, you never learned that it's okay to claim your competencies, whatever they are. Not in a grandiose way, but in a simple acknowledgement. You can write them down. What do I feel are my competencies? This kind of security gives you a base for self-acceptance, so that when you make a mistake, you can also own it, rather than hiding from it because it will be overpowering for you to realize. You can say, I make good decisions, and I make some that aren't so good. It's trying to learn more balance, that you don't have to be so self-effacing. Number two in Mind Body Green is, they think they're superior to others, even if they're quiet about it. I think this is an issue of getting comfortable with not feeling in control. I've often said you don't have to be in control if you're secure in yourself. I can let someone know more than me or have a better idea. So where does that need to be better than, more of something than, smarter than, harder working than, 
more giving than whatever it is, where did you learn that that is what really gave you value? It's about the fact that perhaps you're not valuing yourself as a person. And so you can catch yourself. Am I looking for people to be friends with who I think that I'm really superior than? Or do I let myself be attracted to people who I really admire, but I don't feel like there's a competition? Where did you learn that that competition is so important and you must come out on top? Here's number three. They're constantly jealous. Here perhaps we have another instance of being so honed into what other people seem to have. This could be the friend who wants you to be their friend only, or the mother who can't stand that her son is developing a relationship with his mother-in-law. Basically, it's that insecurity and not feeling valuable in your own soul and gut that's at work here. The answer to all of these is to do things that add to your own sense of self-confidence. Whatever you've built, that you can't absorb compliments, even the, hey, you look nice today, you'll always defer or say something negative as a response. You need to allow yourself to hear and believe those things, while also accepting that everyone is on a spectrum. There will always be someone who's better than you at something and someone who's worse than you. And how you handle that determines whether or not you're constantly in a battle with them to win control, for them to affirm you and you act like you brush it off. All of that has a gaminess about it that's not healthy in relationships. Here's number four. A covert narcissist is unable to build meaningful relationships. If you don't have an idea of your own value, then you can become highly dependent on others to give that to you. But then you don't really believe it. Empathy is also a characteristic or personality trait that's difficult for someone with covert narcissism. Empathy means being able to feel what others feel. But if you haven't allowed yourself to feel your own feelings, especially painful ones, how are you supposed to know how to do that? So the work here is to slowly begin to allow your own emotional pain to surface. The real kind of pain, not the perceived hurts or slights that you can get caught up in. Childhood pain. And that work is very difficult and often goes slowly. But my guess is with covert narcissism as well as actually grandiose narcissism, there's a complete discounting of whatever happened that built that tremendous insecurity. Or you're stuck in blame for that. I wouldn't be the way I am if if my mother or my father hadn't blah, blah, blah. And so you have to get out of blame, which actually just protects you from feeling your own hurt or sadness. Here's number five from Mind Body Green. Covert narcissists are passive aggressive. This means they're rarely being seen as truly angry. But when you do feel angry, you express it by doing this through some kind of acting out. One person, for example, I worked with was angry with his son for moving away from their hometown. So for months, even years, he found reasons why he couldn't travel to see them. The job here is to learn how to be angry, not aggressive, but angry. The dance of anger is good for the female gender. There's a book called I Don't Want to Talk About It for those identifying as male. Number six, they're hypersensitive to criticism. What you can do here is to learn how to manage your own reactions. You have to catch them. You have to evaluate, wait a minute, am I taking this too personally? Am I making this about me? Because maybe it's not. More often than not, you're seeing too much as criticism rather than just disagreement or conflict. 
You can use cognitive behavioral techniques here. What am I telling myself about what was said? And how am I making it about me? What else could it be about? Number seven, they lack boundaries. Now, this can be seen as part of that self-centeredness as well as possible enmeshment, meaning that someone with covert narcissism struggles to see other people's decisions as not about them, but about the other person. So, for example, I can be very giving to you, but when you do something that I don't like, then I feel offended as if I'm not appreciated. It can look like conditional love. Do what I want you to do, and then I won't pout. Again, the job here is to learn to believe that you are loved and valued, but a loved one can disagree with you, and that love and value doesn't disappear. Also, given how people with covert narcissism tend to serve others, they can feel as if they're never recognized for all they do, or that true intimacy doesn't have anything to do with earning love. Instead, love is given, and you give it back. I hope these are helpful to Carol or whomever is listening Again, I'm so impressed that you're meeting your vulnerabilities with integrity and trying to catch them. And actually, these things are going to show up in your relationships, not necessarily just in your individual functioning. So you can also talk to people who love you about, you know, what do I make hard for you? Just be honest with me, because I'm really working in therapy on this, and I need your help and your perspective. And then the important part of that conversation is not to feel attacked or rejected because they're finally being honest with you. Good luck to Carol and anyone else with this issue. The listener email today deals with the relationship between perfectionism and social anxiety. The listener says, I'm originally from Utah and grew up a Christian. About a year ago, I decided to volunteer and go on a service mission. I loved my time there, but I ended up having to leave my mission early after serving for nine months because of depression, anxiety, and bad tension migraines that wouldn't stop. Since being home, I have continued to feel in a depressive state of hopelessness and insecurity that won't seem to go away. It has often led me to avoid social interactions because I don't want people to see this imperfect, depressed side of me. In my church culture, it has often been shamed or looked down upon if someone comes home early from their mission. I will say that not everyone is like this, but I do feel that it is still a part of the culture. I grew up in a household where my parents were never vulnerable around us and still aren't. Another one of my concerns is a younger sibling living at home. I fear that because of how my parents are not vulnerable with us or don't teach us that it's okay to make mistakes, this could affect that sibling long term. So is perfectionism and social anxiety related? Here's my answer. First, of course, yes, they are. Perfectionism and its relationship with anxiety is well documented as part of the dynamic of being a doer or someone who's a high achiever as an antidote or a distraction for feeling anxious in public. If you have a job to do when you're out in public, then you are much more comfortable. For example, I know a lot of doctors or nurses or whatever that as long as they're wearing that white coat, they have no anxiety at all. They take off that white coat. That perfectionism comes in, which is probably a part of them or often a part of them, and they can get very socially anxious. Her second question was, how do I continue living a normal life without social anxiety, depression, or perfectionism controlling me after a traumatic event? I'm going to therapy, exercising, doing all the things that I know to do, but I still feel it's not enough. 
Here's my answer. What I'm hearing here is the wish, which I think is unrealistic, for all these problems to vanish. Trauma is trauma, whatever the trauma was, and that means it takes time and a lot of work to work through. The good news is that over time, and by working through whatever it was that was traumatic for you, all three of those conditions can be managed. Perfectionism, anxiety, and depression. If you're feeling as if real progress isn't being made, you may need to consider another therapist, someone who specializes in trauma. And here is her last question. Is it okay to blame how I was raised as a direct result of my depression perfectionistic issues? Here's my answer. I don't believe blame is the answer. That can leave you bitter and never free from resentment and anger. And it's also a way for you to get out of looking at yourself. Acknowledgement, however, is key. If this had happened to someone else, would I feel compassion for them? Self-compassion is far from self-pity. I also want to quickly say that there are many religions that have very strict rules and expectations for their believers. For those of you who've listened for a while, you know that I don't really mix psychology and religion. It's simply too emotionally loaded. But after all, churches are made up of people, and people have flaws and vulnerabilities. Each one of us has to decide whether a spiritual environment or culture is helping us to live better lives or not. Thanks so much to this listener for writing in, and I certainly hope my answers were helpful. Thank all of you for listening to Self Work Today. I met with my team last week, and I'm really excited about some things that we want to add to Self Work in the next coming weeks and months. You can always let me know what you'd like by emailing me at AskDrMargaret at DrMargaretRutherford.com. Thank you so much for your reviews and ratings, both for my book, Perfectly Hidden Depression, which is available anywhere you buy books, and for this podcast where you can also subscribe to Self-Work there, or you can go to my website and subscribe at drmargaretrutherford.com. And the cool thing about that is that you get a weekly newsletter. That's it. But it includes my podcast as well as my blog post and maybe telling you about some other opportunities you might want to take advantage of. It's short and sweet. Probably might take you a minute to read, but it's a great way to stay organized and stay in touch with me. You can also join my closed Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. Thank you again for being here. Please take very good care of yourself and of those you love. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been self